Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. To be in the house of God. I didn't get to preach this morning, so that means I, I have to preach twice as much to y'all. So, uh, no. Uh, yeah, y'all are cheering now. You wait till you see where I'm headed. <laughs> then you're going to be going, oh, Lord, we should have come to first service. I don't know about this. This is, this is dangerous. Amen. Well, I am convinced with everything that's within me that it is useless to attend church and not be challenged. Well, you can pull that off in a self help seminar. Uh, you can go somewhere as a self-help seminar and, and not be challenged to change. I don't think that what, that's what church is supposed to be about. I, I, I like to go to church when people step on my toes a little bit. That's why I wear boots because I'm afraid somebody's going to bruise me. Amen. And so uh, you're in the right place if that's what you're looking for. If you don't like to be challenged, it could be a little tight for you this morning. Uh, and so we just, uh, we're, we're so glad that you're here. And God is doing some powerful, incredible things in his presence. Amen. See, the, the, the truth is this morning is that all of us like to put our best foot forward. All of us like to be seen as strong. We don't like any weakness to be revealed. We certainly don't want our weaknesses to be exposed. We want every vulnerability to be hidden. We want our humanness to be shrouded. And the only problem with that is that our perfectly wrapped up, packaged facade is often interrupted by what we call embarrassing moments. Uh, I know y'all have never had one of those, um, but I've had a few in my life, and no, I'm not going to tell you what they are. <laughs> I started to, and I decided not to, but uh, maybe we will. We'll see. But they're, they're those cheek-coloring moments, those, those things that uh, we think we're cool and we think we're slick, and then all of a sudden we open mouth and insert foot or we take the wrong step and out of nowhere, see I know I'm talking to perfect people and y'all have never done this, but out of nowhere, out of nowhere, we're overtaken by a blush. Well, things cause us to blush like this.
stupid is, as stupid does. <laughs> Why would you even try that stuff? That's it, man. Blush, bless. See, oh, my word. We didn't get to play that first service, so that's fun right there. I'm going to tell you, I don't care who you are. We're sorry we put hidden cameras in your living room to see you do that kind of stuff. You know, uh, we do some stupid stuff. Well, when you start talking about God, uh, society, society likes to portray and paint Jesus as this passive, gentle, uh, soft man, wimpy. When the reality is, is that Jesus was anything but. Jesus was extremely controversial. Jesus was unbelievably confrontational, and he had this uncanny tendency to ask people questions that would redden their cheeks in embarrassment. As I think about what Jesus said, you know, I, there are a lot of times I think we would prefer this nice, polite, appropriate little Jesus, and the truth is, is that Jesus never operated like that. The truth is, is that Jesus uh, seemed to always ask questions that were knee bucklers. Those questions that just take you off guard, that catch you off guard, and cause you to quake in your shoes and say, I wished he wouldn't have asked me that. Uh, Jesus had this ability, he would look, it didn't matter who you were, I don't care who you were. He would look at Pharisees in the eyes, he would look at tax collectors straight in the eyes, he would look at prostitutes straight in the eyes, he would look at his disciples straight in the eyes, he would, so he would look at religious, religious leaders straight in the eyes, and he would ask these questions that would cause the blood from their toes to shoot up their necks and reside and come to, to rest right in their cheeks, and they would blush. And so we like to... To, to, to think about Jesus as passive, but that's not the Jesus I read about. Jesus caused people to blush. Uh, he'd cause them to duck their head and stare at their feet, and he would speak them almost to shame. And, and our problem, I think, is that what happens is as we read Scripture, we like to read over those passages that are like that, and we just like to say, that was for them, that wasn't for me. We let ourselves off the hook, if you will. Uh, th that embarrassed them, but that really wasn't what Jesus was asking me. But this morning, I think that perhaps what we ought to do is that we ought to read some of the questions that Jesus asked and talk about some of the questions that Jesus posed when he was here on earth and, and maybe read them with our name in red. See, these questions that Jesus posed are questions that should invoke the same response in us. These questions should cause us to blush but these questions should more importantly cause us to change. So as I look over the scripture and the encounter that Jesus has with his people, the, the, the people that were following him, I come across a passage of scripture that is painful to read, especially if you insert your name, which is what we're going to do this morning. So we're going to make it real painful. It, it, it's the first question that we're going to look at and one of the most severe. It's found in Luke chapter 6 and it's verse 46 and 47. I'm only going to read verse 46 to you out of the, in, the New International Version and I'm going to read verse 46 and 47 out of the Message Bible and then we're going to backtrack and put our name in it. Listen to this question. What a doozy. What a knee buckler. What a blush inducing question. Luke chapter 6 verse 46. Why do you call me Lord Lord and do not do what I say? I told you it was going to get tight in here. Let me read to you out of the Message Bible. Why are you so polite with me? Always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir. 
but never doing a thing, I tell you. Verse 47. These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundation words, words to build a life on. I wouldn't dare add your name to this text, so let me add mine. You add your own. This is how I've been reading it all week to myself. Steve, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't do the things I tell you to do. Father, this morning, change us. Embarrass us. Not so that shame comes, but so that transformation takes place. I pray this in Jesus' name. What an embarrassing question. See, Jesus in this passage in Luke chapter 6, he's not talking to non-believers. If you go back and you read what's taking place here, what you discover is that Jesus isn't addressing the vilest of sinners. He, he's not dialoguing at this moment with prostitutes or drunkards or drug addicts or, or anything like that. This passage of Scripture is an account of Jesus talking to his chosen 12 and a group of people that have been following him. The, the, the chapter, this is, this is the chapter, you go back and you read chapter 5 in Luke and what you discover that Luke chapter 6 is the chapter, this chapter follows the moment where these men and women have witnessed a boat swamping catch of fish. They've also witnessed a man lowered through a roof to be healed instantly and they've watched Jesus heal a man with a withered hand. That's what they've just witnessed with their own eyes. But now Jesus in a moment after realizing that these people that have seen all these miracles take place in the short course of just a few momentary hours or days. He literally turns and verbally slaps the, 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 the face of his disciples and those that are listening to him. He basically says to the, in, 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 in a, another way you could say it is he's, he's asking, they're saying this to them, you've seen my power. You have literally witnessed the supernatural for yourself. You have verbalized that I am indeed Lord, but you refuse to do what I tell you to do. Awkward. I want to tell you there was a pregnant pause at that moment. I, I would say to you at that moment that they stared at their feet in shame. We should feel bad for the disciples in that moment. We should be, uh, we, we should almost, as, as we sit here and think about the, the scenario that they find themselves in where Jesus, after says, hearing them declare that he turns and slaps them and says, you don't even do what I say, but you we should duck our heads for them. We should feel the burn of a blush for us because isn't it true that that the disciples only had a few days or weeks weeks of experience with Jesus they had uh, they only had a few moments of proof they they hadn't yet walked forward through the feeding of the 5000s they had they hadn't witnessed firsthand the transfiguration they hadn't seen the healing of the blind men they hadn't witnessed the healing of the lepers and ultimately they had not yet experienced the 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 power and the proof of his resurrection so maybe we ought to cut them some slack But what about us? 
Now generations removed, now decades removed, now centuries removed, we have in fact witnessed through the accounts of Scripture all of the miracles of Christ, the living proof that He is yet indeed alive. We have ourselves encountered His presence this morning, if never before. We know without a shadow of a doubt that He's not dead. He's not in a tomb. He is alive. He is who He said He was. He is the one living, true Son of God. There's no other contender. Nobody's ever even come close and anybody else is just a poser he is the son of the living God we know that for a fact and yet maybe because of all that we should be able to entertain the same question that he posed to his disciples and and never flinch but I'm concerned and I'm convinced that most of us uh, when we're asked that kind of question still have the need to blush because we too can't answer it correctly So this morning, I've got two basic questions to ask you out of this account that we need to apply to our own lives. And they're both very painful questions, but needed. Doesn't matter if you don't know Jesus very well, you just came into a relationship with him, you still need to ask yourself these questions. It doesn't matter if you've been saved longer than anybody in the room. You need to ask these questions of your own self. The first one is simply this. Are you a follower or are you an obeyer? How many of you know that a a child can follow their parent and still refuse to obey their parent? Oh, y'all ain't here this morning. I I know it was more fun when I was shouting and singing and and talking about sound. But uh, how many of us are following Jesus, but we are not obeying Jesus? See, we have been overtaken by the plague of disobedience. I am discovering now that it seems that there's this epidemic of disobedience in people that would claim Christ as Lord, but don't obey. We want to announce Jesus as Lord, and yet our lack of obedience dethrones Him in our life because we can call Him Lord all day long and until we come to the place that we actually begin to obey what he instructs us to do then we're just a follower we're not an obeyer are you doing what he says to do period what we want to we want to take all of Jesus's teachings and instructions and make them suggestions rather than allowing them to become commands or marching orders in our lives. We want Jesus to to just be an addition to our lives where we get to keep doing what we've always done, but now we have fire insurance and now we get to claim y'all ain't helping me none this morning I know it's painful I know it's tight but I'm telling you you've got to we've got to ask ourselves this question are we merely just following him are we just hearers of the word or are we doers obeyers of what he says to do Jesus had already taught his followers many things in fact this passage of scripture in Luke chapter 6 which is a is it brings him to the place of this crimson question if you go back and and read Luke chapter 6 it is the it is the backdrop of the sermon on the mount Jesus is literally teaching his disciples and the people that are crowded around him how to live a Christian life he's telling them all of the ways that they should behave he's teaching them all the methods of obedience and response and how you're supposed to react and you're supposed to be the salt of the world and the light of the world and Y'all, y'all do know about the Sermon on the Mount, right? Okay, it's probably the greatest message ever preached. Teaching us how we're supposed to live. 
And yet immediately after that statement, all those statements, all that teaching, he comes to a realization that my, my disciples are hearing me, but they're not actually walking out what I'm telling them to do. Has anything really changed? In the Sermon on the Mount and in all the other teachings of Christ, he says to forgive and yet we seek revenge. He says, let go of grudges, and we harbor hard feelings for decades. Some of you won't even sit on the same side of the room as each other. Uh, Y'all weren't ready for this. Some of you got people at work that you will literally go a different route so you don't have to. He says, turn the other cheek, we go for the jugular. He says, to love our enemies, we Facebook and Twitter about them instead. He says, to gather together for strength, we like the lake. He says to serve, and we'd rather be selfish. He says that we should practice humility, and instead what we do is we strut and prance around as if we're the center of the universe, and everybody ought to take care of us. Watch my gift. Watch me do my thing. I know it's quiet in here. He says to take care of those who are in need. Instead, we buy another pair of new shoes and, or a new boat, because that's what we want to do. He demanded that we be separate, but, man, he's cute, and she's hot. And I'll missionary him right into. He says to tithe, and we tip. In fact, we don't even tip him as good as we tip the people at the restaurant. He says to honor authority, we want our rights. He says to honor our parents, we say we're grown. He says to obey, we negotiate. He says to guard your tongue, and we see how close we can get with substitute words. He says to dwell on the pure, and what we do is we feast on the profane, and we pay for it while we're doing it. Y'all ain't helping me a bit, because I'm stepping all over your toes, and there's a blush running up your cheeks right now because you recognize that it is not enough to follow. There must come this moment where you are willing to make him, actually actually make him, establish him as Lord of your life. And what he says goes, period, whether we like it or not, whether it makes me comfortable or not, whether I... Why is it that some of us are calling him Lord for years and yet we still do the things that we want to do even though he said not to do them? Jesus makes it very clear. His teachings are not just to be additions to our life, but rather he says his teachings are to be established as the foundation of our life, which then should dictate to us how we behave, how we respond, how we react, how we interact, how we use our money, how we discipline our children, how we love our spouse, how we operate at work, how we, how we walk through our community and society. It's not just additions to our life to make us look like a Christian. Those are to be foundational elements of our life that dictate to us how we should live. And so what we like to do is we want to remove the things that we don't like or that we think are too hard. Find a church that only teaches the part we already wanted to do, and we'll make that home. 
don't dare tell me to do some stuff I ain't already doing. I'll just do what I'm doing, find somebody that'll preach to me that says that's enough, and I'll sit down and sour. Y'all ain't helping me none. I know it's tight in here. Come on now. You, you, you can't shout on the, on the good days if you can't shout on midnight hours. This seems like a midnight hour. I'm, I'm busting you right in the chops. I just think Jesus likes to produce a blush in us sometimes where we want to shout in disobedience, expecting him to bless us as if we're obeying. But I got news for you. Radical obedience in one area doesn't override radical disobedience in another area. That was good. It's not original with me. I wished it was. Uh, but I'm just saying that some of you think because you're radically obeying him in worship, you can radically disobey him with your money, and he'll be all right with that. And I'm worshiping my way into to negotiate with God. Didn't you see me worship on Sunday morning? That means I can spend my money any way I want to, God. No, it doesn't. Radical obedience in worship doesn't allow you to radically disobey him in relationship, radically disobey him in how you use your money, radically disobey him and how you raise your kids just because you were obedient and worship doesn't give you a free pass get out of jail free card on every other area of your life see some of us are no more obedient now than we were on the first day that we established relationship with Jesus Lord listen to me Lord is not supposed to be a term of endearment that's how we use it. Oh, Lord. Sugar daddy. That's not what you said. It's just what you were meaning. Lord, like, give me everything I want. Like, Lord, good Lord, take care of my kids. Lord, please. But Lord is not an term. It's not a term of endearment. Lord speaks to the position of authority that we are giving to, to Jesus in our lives. In other words, let me, let me give you some, some slang. He's boss. Maybe we ought to start praying like that. Hey, boss. Sounds a little disrespectful more than Lord, but it's the same concept. Hey, head honcho. Commander-in-chief. Okay, let's get really specific. Dictator. We don't like that term as Americans. But if we are going to be more than followers and become obeyers, what that means and indicates is that he can dictate to us. And when he says, I get in lockstep and march and say, yes, sir, even if I don't like it, even if it's uncomfortable, even if I have my other preferences, even if there's something in my comfort zone that I, ooh, I don't, Jesus, you're, you're being mean. Why are you picking on me? Why don't you, yes, sir, end of conversation, I'll do it until you, yes, Sir, until you tell me I will love my wife, until you tell me, yes, sir, I will take care, I will provide for my, yes, sir, I will honor my boss. Yes, sir, I won't talk bad about my teachers. Yes, sir, I won't watch that on the internet. Yes, sir, I'll change the channel. Yes, sir, I'll cut off those friends because they pull me down instead of pulling me up. Yes, sir, I refuse to date somebody that's not a believer. Yes, sir, the, the, yes, stinking sir. Yes, sir, I love the person sitting next to me even though they tick me off. They took my chair. They parked in my parking space. Yes, sir. In the Yes, sir. No more negotiations. No more dialogue. No more, oh, please, God, just this one time, let me buy with this. No. Yes, sir. 
commander-in-chief. And then we wonder why our kids won't operate that way with us. Never mind, that's another sermon. Our face should be blushed. And our hearts should be changed. The second question that I have to ask you is equally painful and kind of along the same lines. Are you lip-locked? Or are you life-locked? Let me see if I can explain that. Anybody in here watch the Super Bowl? There, there was this commercial. Oh, I, I started to play it, and then I realized we got to go eat lunch after this. And uh, it was an awkward, embarrassing, gross, disgusting, effective commercial. For those of you that didn't watch, let me kind of, it, it's, there's, it's this close-up. I mean, close. It's so close. It's, oh, And they slowed it down, and they amplified the sounds. Oh, my word. Uh, it's, it's a supermodel kissing a nerd. And, oh, by the way, I found out that it took 45 takes. I have a suspicion as to why it took that many times. I think the supermodel probably got it right on the first take. Okay. After that commercial, I guarantee you there was nobody that watched that commercial that came to the conclusion that these two people were going to leave that exchange and develop a meaningful, lifelong, unending relationship. It was simply a lip lock. Too many of us, oh man, too many of us are lip locked to Jesus but we're not life-locked. Lordship is not revealed merely by our lips. It is revealed by our life. Lip service is common. Obedience is not. Knowing the right words and being able to fit in just because you know the lingo and how to phrase it doesn't equal being a true disciple. You can fool us by your talk. But you cannot fool God. It is increasingly common for us to want our li to live our lives under the blessings, but separate from His commands. That is the flaw of the Pharisees. They could talk about God; they just didn't know God. And. and When we fail to be life-locked with God and we are only lip-locked lip where we can give lip service, what happens is as we talk this talk that our walk doesn't line up with, as we communicate and we talk the things of God and talk about God and dialogue about God, what happens then is when things don't go right, then we stand up and we will begin to question his goodness and his faithfulness because we felt like because we were saying the right things that God was... was, was locked to us 
and obligated to give us his blessings even though our life doesn't line us up with his blessings. In fact, every time there was ever a blessing, it was always conditional upon obedience. And on the backside of it was, if you don't obey, then this will happen to you. In other words, anytime there was a blessing, there was also a curse and if you did not obey then at that moment regardless of what was coming out of your lips at that moment when your life was not operating in obedience you open yourself up to the curse and we say well God's just a good God and he wouldn't do that to me are you really that special I beg to differ see Jesus addresses people like this lippy followers in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, he said it like this. I'm going to read in two versions. It's powerful. He says this. He says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and they honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Wow. You think that's tough? Listen to it out of the message. Frauds. Not frogs. Frauds. Isaiah's prophecy of you hit the bullseye. These people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. They act like they're worshiping me, but they don't mean it. That means they come in on Sunday morning at Passion Church and worship paint off the walls and dance and snot and spin and whirl and cartwheel and woohoo and shout and then they go right out and go right back to their internet and watch the pornography they watched before they got here and they go right to the movie theater and lay down eight bucks to watch the filth they watch. Y'all ain't helping me none. They go right out and use the same language they used on Monday before they got to church. Y'all don't like me no more and I'm all right with that because I don't want you to be lip-locked. I want you to be life-locked. So here it is. Real talk is only validated by real walk. I've heard that somewhere, young people. I don't know. That's pretty good. Andrew is with our team, in it, but he said that on a Wednesday night recently. I, I'm going to kind of adapt it and say this. If our walk doesn't match his talk, then we should blush. It is embarrassing to me that though we attend regularly, although we faithfully attend, although we worship passionately, although we can speak religiously, it is embarrassing to me to discover that we are, that Jesus, we have allowed Jesus to, be, to become Lord only lip deep. How many of us serve Jesus at lip level? When things get difficult or things become challenging, do we, do we revert to our own thinking and our own choices and our own solution and our own ideas and our own conversations? When things get crazy, when, when, when our life doesn't go like we wanted it to go, do we really serve Jesus as Lord where we're life-locked Him, where we actually believe that every step by, is ordered by God? All, if I'm a righteous man, then God is obligated to, to order my steps. Therefore, when I'm walking through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil. Or when it gets dark and scary, will I turn and say, well, I was serving you with my mouth, but I think I can work this thing out better. You haven't sent me a husband, so I will go I, you haven't sent me the money I need to pay my bills, so I will go down there to that little place in that little dark side of town and, and go in. You haven't answered my question, so I'm going to go pursue uh, answers somewhere else. I, I, 
or uh, what are we go are we life locked or lip lip locked if you're trying to figure it out by yourself you're only lip locked I'm trying to convince you that you need to be life locked that even when things go wrong and even when it's not easy and even when we're not shouting like we're all excited we still obey and we still operate in obedience and we still say he's got me and he still has the answer and he's still the way and he We can act like Jesus is addressing everybody else but us. Or we can allow Jesus to bring us to blush. And we can examine our own life. And try to discover, is he really Lord? I started to include in my notes an old phrase we used to say, but it's so cliche I decided not to put it in there. It's, it's uh, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. But that doesn't cause us to blush anymore. Let me tell you something that ought to cause you to blush. Let me say it like this instead. Why do we call him Lord, Lord? And don't do the things he says to do. I am asking you this morning very simply to do this. I'm asking you as our musicians find their way into their place. I am asking you, oh, this is different. Well, this is old school, Steve. We don't, I got it. I am asking you to find your way to an altar. Interesting term, altar. Hit me one day. It's been years ago now. I've thought about preaching about it. Why do we call the place where we kneel before God an altar? I know they're spelled differently, but I hope you get the gist. That's what it's really about, finding a place where we get on our face before God and we allow him to alter how we act and how we live and how we behave, how we respond. I am asking you this morning to spend some time in the altars and I'm going to ask you to establish Jesus as, as Lord, not with your lips, although it will start there. I am asking you to allow Jesus to get beyond your lips and allow him to get into your life. Well, Steve, I've known Jesus for like 40 years. Good for you. Proud of you. Join the club. But are you obeying? Are you obeying? What, what has he instructed you to do that you're not doing? That's the crux of the matter. Who has he told you to forgive that you've been unwilling to forgive? What if they're in the room? Oh, I don't know. That one passage of scripture says that I can't even really worship God until I go make it right. Ta-da! Maybe it's honor. Maybe you're here today and he told you to honor somebody and you haven't done it. 
Maybe they don't even know you've dishonored them. Maybe they don't know you've disrespected them. Maybe they don't know. Maybe it's a mom and dad. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a leader. Maybe it's just a person in, in your life that God has said honor them. And instead you've dissed them and you've talked bad about them. And you've disrespected them and you've judged them. And if you're not willing to fix it, he's not Lord. Maybe it's to serve. And instead, you've just been sitting on your hind end for like eight months. And maybe what you need to do today as a response to Lord is go to the green room and sign up to serve. Maybe it's to give. I don't believe in all that tithing stuff. You don't have to believe it. Just be cursed. Your choice. Well, Jesus doesn't teach you nothing about tithing. Yes, he does. I can take you to the passage of Scripture. He says, some of you give your tithe as you ought. In other words, you're supposed to be doing that. Well, y'all must need money right now. That's what you, that's what you want. You just want them. No, I don't. We're all right. Lights are on. Bills are being paid. Ain't nobody hurting. We all right? But are you cursed? I can't even pay my own bills. Welcome to the curse. You can't pay your bills on 100% because God ain't blessing your 100%. It's the 90% that he blesses. You'll go further on your 90% than you ever will on your... Can, can I help you today? But why do we call him Lord? Lord, we won't even do what? Blush. Steve? Steve! Why do you call me Lord? And you won't even do what I tell you to do. Y'all know how we're supposed to do it in church. I'm supposed to say, okay, y'all stand with me. You can sit there as long as you want to. But I want to encourage you that at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, what you would do is if you can't get to this altar, you would make an altar and you would spend some significant time this morning establishing Jesus as the head honcho, commander and chief. The one person I will always say, yes, sir. And get life locked to him to where what he says goes period in Jesus name
Presence, 
that we fail to live up to what you say to do sometimes. Father, this morning I pray that we would follow the instructions you gave that says we should rend our hearts and not our garments. That we don't do this as a show, but there comes this moment in each of our lives and as a corporate body where we must repent. And so, Father, this morning... I stand here as a figurehead of this body. And I ask you to forgive us of apathy. And I ask you to forgive us of disobedience in any area. God, I ask you to forgive us of obeying in the areas that are comfortable and that are easy and that seem to come naturally and disobeying you in the areas that cost us sacrifice and pain and require hard choices we repent we ask that now that whether we ever call you with our mouth Lord our life would declare that you're Lord the way that we behave would shout to everybody around us that you are indeed the Lord of our lives our talk would give us a way that we serve you as Lord the choices of our words would let people know around us that you have been established on the throne of our life. God, the choice of our reaction to those that do us wrong would show people, 
whether we ever get an opportunity to say anything to them, they would know in a moment that there's something different about us and they must know Jesus because of the way they reacted. God, I pray that that people would watch how we conduct ourselves, where we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our resources. I pray that it would shout, yes, sir. And the sound of our life would draw people to you. And so together we corporately repent today. And we reestablish you on the throne that is rightfully yours. You are the authority of our life. And what you say goes for this congregation together. And what you say goes in my individual life. Because you're Lord. You're the boss. Head honcho, commander-in-chief, you're my dictator. What you say is, end of argument, end of negotiations, in Jesus. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 